Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of Pride or Die. I am here with my co-host, Nick Bradley of the Detroiter. It is so wonderful to have our second episode of the show. How are you feeling today, Nick? Feel good. I I don't want to make a heroic statement or make this about me right <laughs> off the bat, but I've been moving all day. I know the Lions are working hard at OTAs. I may be working harder. Those things <laughs> maybe go hand in hand a little bit, so I feel good. A little bit. I'm also working hard too, pulling the graveyard shift at my job, which when you're working eight hours and then you have to stay up and you get maybe two or three hours of sleep and you're doing this, it's like, oh, them days get long. So I totally get the vibe. But let's get into today's show and we're going to be starting off a little bit of some spicy content. We're going to be doing some fiery takes <laughs> right now because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going out in the news that's a lot of opinionated base, and it's got some really controversial stuff to talk about. So let's get into that really quickly. So one of the things that came out was there was a recent opinion piece that came out from PFN that had a rather low opinion of Jared Goff. They said that he was a bottom five tier quarterback, like he was really low on their totem pole. So I just wanted to ask, do you think that their opinion is correct of Jared Goff? Do you think it's too <sighs> low? Do you think it's accurate? What do you think? That's tough. I will right off the bat. Bottom five is that's not great. I I don't know if I disagree though. To be totally honest, I think this year, this year is his year of reckoning. Like we said last week, I think if you look at what he did last year, it took him ten weeks to look halfway decent. I don't think calling him bottom five is like the craziest thing in the world. I think like his best case scenario, or at least coming off last season. The biggest Jared Goff optimist, what is he? Maybe a bottom 10 QB. Is that his peak? There's some bad quarterbacks. Don't get it twisted. There's some guys that should be counting their lucky stars. They get to throw footballs around for money. But <laughs> at the same time, if I, I don't think there's a crazy case to be made for – I don't think calling people crazy for saying Goff's bottom five, I don't know if that's necessarily warranted. I wouldn't say calling people crazy because he's a bottom five quarterback is warranted. I just think that if you're going purely based off of last year's statistics and just going off of negative statistics from certain parts of the season, I think that is being short-sighted. Because again, if you take a look at Goss statistics throughout the year, the first four or five weeks, he was actually pretty decent. He had 66, 67 completion percentage, seven touchdowns, seven touchdowns to two interceptions. But then after you had the injuries to Frank Ragnow, to Quintus Cephas, that was when Goff did not look very well from weeks 5 through 10. He had one touchdown to four interceptions, like 64 completion percentage, a 74 quarterback rating per the NFL, not PFF. That was when things looked really bad. But then, like we also said, the last part of the season – he looked like a completely different Jared Goff. That was when we had a different offensive play caller. Josh Reynolds had come in. St. Brown had caught on. So I think if you're just purely basing Goff off of last year, I think you're doing him a disservice because I think everybody is instantaneously going to look at last year's roster and be like, there's no way Jared Goff does the exact same that he did last year with the roster he has this year. We have DJ Chark, <laughs> Jamison Williams, Quintus Cephas, TJ Hawkinson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds. He's got almost seven times as many weapons as he did last year. There's no way Jared Goff does what he did last year. Not in my I, mean, I certainly hope you're right. Listen, I want Jared Goff to be a Hall of Famer. I want him to win 500 Super Bowls. I want him to break every record. <laughs> I want him to be the best. But not even, uh, I guess, like he did great things with the Rams. But 
I don't care what he did four years ago. No offense. I don't care at all what he did four years ago. I care about what he did. And he should be better this year. Every The offensive line should be better. The run game wideouts, like you said, everything around him should be better. Hopefully the coaching and the offensive play calling is better. But right now, based off what we did see and what we saw last year, I just don't know. And you mentioned the statistics were good, even though they were losing those games to start out the year. For me, obviously, statistics and numbers carry weight. But for me, like when I, not just football, but any sport, when I watch and I'm deciphering, oh, this guy, I like him or he's not so great. When I watched Goff, there are moments, there are throws he makes anytime anybody comes near him, pressure-wise, where it's, dude, you're a pro athlete. You know what I'm saying? Like guys would get within two and a half yards of him and he's stuck in mud and they one hand touch him and he's on the ground. And it's, I know he's not Michael Vick, but like, I don't know. I felt like my dad may be a little more athletic in the pocket. He does things like that, that always, I just, it doesn't make sense. And then he would make throws here and there where it's, yeah, it goes down as just an incompletion or it goes down as maybe it was a five yard gain, but if the throws better, it's a 15 yard gain. But the, that incompletion, the guy was wide open and he throws a duck. It felt like, despite whatever statistics say what, it just felt like watching him. There were moments where it's like, you got to make that play, Jared. You got to evade that sack or you got to make that throw. Just too many moments like that stuck with me over the course of the year where, I don't know. I, th- I think if you take a look, again, if you're taking a look at the entirety of the season and you're trying to put it in a nutshell – then yeah, that would make an accurate statement. But again, I take a look at the state. I take a look at last season in stages because in the earlier parts of the season, that was true. Jared Goff wasn't being as mobile in the quarterback in the back. He wasn't doing a whole lot to evade rushes, but one particular play kind of sticks out to me very clearly was against the Cardinals. It was the play where Amon Ross St. Brown was going across the line. And then he just went up the sideline and got that. When you see that play, Jared Goff had to step into the pocket, evade the pass rush. And then he threw a perfect ball straight to Amon Ross St. Brown for the touchdown. That kind of a play I wouldn't have seen from Jared Goff early on in the season, because again, still figuring out the offense, still figuring out who he was and how he fit in with the offensive scheme. I personally think having another year in the system, having all these extra weapons, having the confidence that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have instilled in him, I think we see a Jared Goff that is very similar, if not surpasses, what he did 2018 Rams. I would not be surprised. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a bold prediction right here. I think Jared Goff has over 4,000 yards throwing next year and over 30 touchdowns. I'm making that opinion. <laughs> I hope. I don't think that's going to happen. That's like bottom we're talking about him being a bottom five QB if he does that he's a top 10 guy next year I hope he does it. I think with the supporting cast he has and the line he has I think that's totally a reason hope I wouldn't say expectation but it's a hope because in my opinion he's got a great supporting cast around him so if it happens but again that's what I'm seeing I could see plus 4,000 yards plus 30 touchdowns that's just my opinion could be drinking a little (laughs) too much Kool-Aid but (laughs) Listen, that would be unbelievable. <laughs> I agree. It's a hope. That's the best. It's like beyond a hope. If there's another word for something like that, miracle, maybe. Is that what we're uh, praying on a miracle? I don't know. I just, it's <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. This is year two in the system. I get it. Shark is going to be better. Hopefully St. Brown takes another step. Jamison Williams, whenever he starts playing. But again, like yeah. at some level, talent's talent. Like I saw Jared Goff play. I don't know. It was the ceiling that much higher? I don't know. 
we'll just have to wait and see. But again, I have a lot of faith in Ben Johnson. I have a lot of faith that Jared Goff has a huge chip on his shoulder and he wants to prove people wrong. So we'll just have to see. But that's fiery take number one. Let's get into fiery take number two. So the other thing is, again, this is predicated around Jared Goff, but it's a little bit different in that there has been an opinion piece that has come out asking about, or not not asking, but putting the line as a potential trade suitor for Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers. What are your thoughts on the possibility of this trade for the 49ers acquire, or the Lions acquiring 49ers Jimmy Garoppolo? What do you think about that? I'll tell you this. That's interesting to me. It's certainly, I obviously, you got to see what do they want? What do we have to give up? It's interesting for a few reasons. One, I think Jimmy G is better than Goff. I do. I think he would improve the team. Mm-hmm. I think, like we've said already, the system around him, you could put pretty much anybody in the league. If things go according to plan, this Lions offense should be one of the better places to play quarterback this year. But on the mm-hmm. flip side, A, I don't want to be giving up picks. I don't want to be giving up young players, which I don't know what else San Francisco would want from us. And B, if we're going to go out and get a QB, if we're going to go out and give away assets, do we want Jimmy G, who maybe he is better than Jared Goff. In my mind, he is. But they're the same guy to me. They're the same guy. You have to protect them. You have to get wide receivers who will get open. Yes, they can manage that. They can run a well-oiled machine. If you're going to splurge, let's say, you're going to expend assets to go Mm -hmm. get a quarterback, they got to bring something more to the table. They got to make more plays on their own because it feels like this whole time we hear Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell talk about golf. He's the guy, or they want to at least hear him out. It feels like he's that game manager prototype, which Jimmy G would be more of the same. Yes, I I agree. Obviously, when you're talking about Jared Goff and Jimmy G, that term game manager gets thrown quite a lot. And unfortunately, I think nowadays it gets thrown around with a negative connotation. Oh, if you're just managing games, you're not actually winning the games per se. But I think being a game manager is still a good thing because if you can manage a game and you can win it without losing it, that's a good thing. But... I'll be honest, I don't like the Jimmy G the Jimmy G trade offer. And the reason why is because of the cap hit that would come for trading for Jimmy G. Because think about it. Jimmy G makes $18 million. That would mean the Lions would have an $18 million cap hit now suddenly on their books for a backup quarterback. Or let's just play the hypothetical what-if game. Jimmy G now becomes the starter. Now you've got Jared Goff with a $35 million cap hit being your backup quarterback. Neither one of them are very good options for backup if you're spending that much money. That's just my first take on it. But the other oh, thing is, for sure, Jimmy G, realistically, even though he has pretty much the same similar skill set as Jared Goff, Jared Goff has one thing better than Jimmy G, and that's durability. Jimmy G always seems to be injured. He's always got some ailment that's bothering him. In seven years, Jared Goff has only missed five games. So that's something that Jared Goff has in spades, in my opinion, more so than what Jimmy G has. But, okay, that's Jimmy G. I know there's somebody else out there that's going to ask this question. What about possibility for trading for Baker Mayfield? What do you think about that option? So, same, it's similar, right? They all make money. They all make a lot of money. They all make too much to sit on the bench. Going Mm -hmm. back to that Jimmy G trade, the only way that works is if golf's in the deal, I would imagine, and I don't know why San Francisco would do that. Baker, same deal. I will say, if I got to choose between the three of them, really, if you said pick one of these three guys, I'd take Baker over the others. 
I don't know how hmm. much that's saying exactly. Because look at Jimmy G, too. When has he been successful in San Francisco? When they have the most loaded defense in the league. When Debo Samuel hmm. does literally everything and J- Jimmy throws it four <laughs> yards and Debo does everything else. So it's like at some level, if you're going to trade, back to what I was saying, if you're going to trade and expend assets for a QB, it can't just be a guy who's making the four-yard screen pass and hoping the wide receiver gets loose. It needs to be a guy who can make every throw on the field, who can make plays with his legs, who's durable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It needs to be a total package. No, and I totally agree, but <laughs> I'll say this right now. Even though Baker Mayfield is more athletic than both Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff, again, one thing that Jared Goff has better than Baker Mayfield, in my mind, is a tough skin, a thick skin. Because we've seen it this offseason. Baker Mayfield literally turned into, and I, I hate to say it, but he turned into a cry. If he comes <laughs> to Detroit and he deals with the media out here in Detroit, he's going to be crying foul every time he gets bad press from the Lions, which, let's be frankly honest, that's going to happen every week, irregardless of how he plays, because there's always someone in Detroit media that has something negative to say, even if it's not founded. So for me, it's like, do I think that Baker Mayfield coming to Detroit first and foremost, could he take the scrutiny of being the Detroit Lions quarterback? No, I don't think he could. Furthermore, I don't think that this is going to probably be controversial too. I don't think Baker Mayfield is a Dan Campbell-esque player. I don't think he has the work ethic. I don't think he has the same kind of gritty toughness about him as far as going to work every day, doing your job and doing it without complaint every day that a guy like Jared Goff showed last year. He showed up despite taking all the lumps and never once complained about it. Baker Mayfield, as soon as they traded for Deshaun Watson, he was crying foul and saying, oh, I've been treated unfairly and I want out. It's No, that don't fly with me, and that's probably not going to fly with Dan Campbell either. That's fair, but I would the Baker and Jared situations are way different. Baker, ever since he got to Cleveland, they started to become relevant for the first time in my life. Like, I, I've, Cleveland has never <laughs> once ever sniffed the playoffs. Baker gets there. They're hanging around. They're making playoffs. Like, they're doing things. For Cleveland, yeah, they didn't win anything. But, like, the Lions, when we th- make the playoffs, it's like, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. That's exactly what happened in Cleveland. And when you start talking, like, a media vilifying someone, the quarterback's always going to be the scapegoat, no matter what city it is, no matter what team. And when you're winning and you start to have expectations and you have a defense like the Browns had and the run game like the Mm -hmm. Browns had, people are going to expect you to win. And when you don't, they'll point fingers. Whereas golf in Detroit, nobody expected us to do a thing last year. This year, Jared Goff lays eggs. We're going to see how thick his skin is after all. Because, yeah, maybe there were people last year like, Goff stinks, this, that, the other thing, whatever. Nobody was invested enough. There was never enough on the line for the Lions to really nail in and dig in on Jared Goff, where this year, we'll see. As far as the work ethic and stuff, I don't know. I feel like Baker seems like he busts his ass. He just, I don't know. He's like more in the public eye. He runs his mouth, more of a flashy type guy. So I don't know how that would work with Dan Campbell, but the situations were different. Yeah, the situations are different. The, uh, the city is different, and I get that. It's just for when I take a look at what Dane Campbell has said and done throughout the entirety of his time, for crying out loud, other than the kneecap biting quote, what else has he said? I don't want turds. I don't want floaters. He wants guys that every <laughs> single day, irregardless of situation, irregardless of their personal situation, uh, whatever might be going on, they're going to come to work, and they're going to work their butts off. 
I just don't get that vibe from Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying he's not a hard worker. I'm not saying he hasn't had to work to get to where he is. I just don't think he's going to fit what Dan Campbell is looking for. That's just my personal opinion. Could he prove me wrong? Absolutely. But I don't think he's going to be proving me wrong while he's sitting behind Deshaun Watson, if that should happen to be the case. Just saying. Yeah, that's but fair. We'll I, I don't know. I th- See, Baker seems gritty to me. I think – even though he is a run his mouth type of guy, I think some of this stuff, like he has the competitive edge, which I think Dan Campbell would appreciate. And at the same time, Jared Goff, like they seem to love this guy, which is great. But what has Jared Goff done that gives the, oh, I bust my ass. Oh, I want to win impression other than show up for each game last year, which I hope so. He made 30 something million dollars. So I hope he showed up 17 times. Like, it's the least he could do. So, I don't know. I, I just don't know if, if we're going to talk about come to work every day, make no excuses type things. Has Jared Goff been to that point yet? Or was he just on the worst team in the NFL last year? Don't know. We'll have to see what happens this upcoming year. Let's move into the next topic here. So, the next topic is, obviously, like last week, we talked about the schedule release a little bit. But one of the things I wanted to bring up here is, what game on the schedule do you think as a victory – gives the Lions the most credibility of actually being a contender because there have been rumors, there have been a little bit of whispers out there that the Lions could potentially win 10, maybe 11 games, get into the playoffs because of how soft our schedule is. What win do you think gives the Lions the most credibility as a contender? And if the Lions were to lose, which loss do you think gives them the impression that they still need a lot of work? What do you think? If they lose to the Bears twice, I'm going to freak out (laughs) if they lose to the Bears twice. I'm going to freak out, for real. But as far as a win, I think it's got to be Buffalo on Thanksgiving, just because we know how Thanksgiving goes. Every single year, I eat a bunch of turkey, the Lions game comes and it goes, and I lay on my couch and I scroll on Twitter, and all I see is, I can't believe the NFL still lets Detroit host the Thanksgiving game. makes me want to throw up when I read those tweets. It's a tradition unlike any other. Who cares about the Masters? I'd love to see beating Buffalo with Josh Allen. They want to win a Super Bowl this year. That's their game. They're not looking to make the playoffs. They're trying to win the Super Bowl. Buffalo, Thanksgiving in Detroit. Give me that game. Give me that win. Hopefully at that point, we're still like, I don't know, at least like 500 or floating around there. Give me that game and we'll be cooking with gas. All right, all right. Thank you, Jim Nance, for your intake there. (laughs) Yep, yep. My pleasure, David. My pleasure. I'll say this. The Bills game, instantaneously, it jumps right off the script as being the one that would give the Lions the most credibility, obviously, because the Bills are considered Super Bowl favorites next year or this upcoming year for the AFC. But I'm going to actually keep it more closer to home, and I think it's any one of the games against Green Bay, specifically the game at Green Bay, because think about it this way. Green Bay has been the ruler of the North since the Brett Favre era. Like, for the last 20 years, they pretty much ruled the North almost without any competition. Sure, the Bears and the Vikings have won the North a couple of times, but it's been pretty much the Packers' division to lose every stinking year. If the Lions could go into Lambeau Week 18 and pull off an upset there, Let's just say for all, all intents and purposes that it's down to the wire. Whoever wins the game wins the division. If the Lions can go into Lambeau and pull up an upset against the Packers on their home turf, that right there would tell me, okay, the page is turned. The Lions are now actually starting to be a contender that we can take seriously in the NFC North. Because if you go to Lambeau and you beat Aaron Rodgers at his home turf, 
you've got something going, or as you like to say, we're cooking with gas now. And we're not just cooking with gas. We're throwing dynamite on the fire and saying, we're blowing up the NFC North and we're taking everybody with us as hostages. Yeah, that's fair. It's Buffalo or Green Bay, I think, are the two answers. Like you just said, Aaron Rodgers has been ruining my life since I can remember thinking. So that'd be nice. The only reason I didn't say Green Bay is because it's the last game. So it's you already know by that point, we either stink or we're good. True. And again, that's why I said hypothetical situation if it comes down to that point. But okay, now let's look on the flip side of that coin. You said the Bears. So for me, I'll be honest, it's the Bears are close. But the other team would be the Jaguars. If we were to somehow to lose against the Jaguars in our home stadium, I would cry bloody murder because, it's, dude, the Jaguars had the number one overall pick this last draft. They literally just went out and spent a whole bunch of money on free agents, which I think they overpaid on quite a lot of them. If we can't beat the Jaguars on our home turf, that right there is, ooh, maybe we're not as far along as I thought we were. So for me, it's if we can't beat the Jaguars, the worst team last year, then I think we have a problem. And I think we have to reevaluate where in this rebuild we truly are. The Jags yeah, would be the Bears devastating. Would be, the, yeah, the Jags, they, they truly the reason would. I didn't say them is because you would assume Trevor Lawrence is going to come into his own, right? Maybe year two where this guy can carry a team to some level. And they did just scoop a bunch of free agents. So it's like they can't be the worst team in the NFL again. I think the Bears could be the worst team in the NFL. Brand new front office, brand new coach. Justin Fields, is. I like him, but he wasn't great last year. Their offensive line is atrocious. They don't have anybody to catch footballs outside of Darnell Mooney. Like I I look at the Bears, and the other thing that would really upset me with losing to them is just the fact that we've been getting torched by Mitch Trubisky for the last few years. Like hmm. every time we play the Bears, it's we should beat these guys. They're not good, and we lose anyway. So it's I just beat the beat the Bears. They stink. They don't have anything good except for maybe Justin Fields. Beat those guys. Justin Fields, in my opinion, wasn't even all that good last year. Seven no, touchdowns, he ten interceptions. He was horrible. And again, that's not necessarily a reflection of him on talent. It's a reflection of the talent he had around him. Like the Bears are just. Yeah. Ugh, they're just god awful. I'm sorry. That's the way I'm going to put it. And the fact I saw a report that some guy thinks they're going to go 11 and six, and the Lions six and 11. I I laughed my butt off. I was like, there ain't no chance the Bears go 11 and six. They're going to have the worst offensive line in the NFL. Justin Fields oh. might be a dead body before week eight. <laughs> He'd just Honestly. be hanging out there like I'm just here to collect a paycheck, but I'm getting beat up along the way. I swear to God, last year, once a week, I'd see some highlight of him just getting his head taken off, and it's, this is the Bears' plan for their franchise QB. It's, beat the Bears. Please beat the Bears. Absolutely. Please beat the Bears. That that, that should be our next mantra. Please beat the Bears. Please beat the Bears. Just beat them once. Okay, okay. Obviously, we're getting ready for the OTA sessions to start. We're getting ready for both the veterans and for the rookies to have their first organized team meetings, team activities, practices. We're getting ready for that to start. But rookie minicamps just got over with. And we obviously have heard some reports. We've seen some videos from the Lions about their rookies. So I got to ask you this question. Which rookie from rookie minicamp impressed you the most? Either what they did, what they said, both. What was the one that really impressed you? I will say the thing that got me the most fired up, even though Jamison Williams didn't play at all, he seems to thoroughly enjoy being a Detroit Lion, which I remember draft night. There's that picture of him, and he's. it looks like the worst day of his life. He's holding up his jersey, just 
no emotion. So it was good to see him smiling and talking about enjoying being a lion. I'll be honest, though. I didn't follow rookie minicamp a ton as far as how well people performed. But the guy I'm most excited for and I have the highest expectation for is Aiden Hutchinson. Like, we need him to be good. We need to have an elite pass rusher. We spent the second overall pick on him. He needs to be good. So that's I'm all in on Hutch. Absolutely. I will say this. You could make an argument for Aiden Hutchinson. You could make an argument for Jamison Williams. J- or you could make an argument for Mitchell, the, uh, the tight end we got in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. You can make an argument for any one of them. But I'll say this. I said earlier in another show that I did that I liked Aiden Hutchinson's the best. But I'll have to say, since you went with Aiden Hutchinson, I'm going to go with Malcolm Rodriguez. I love what Malcolm Rodriguez brings to this team. And the first, there are two things specifically that he did during rookie minicamp that I loved. The first thing I did is I just loved seeing him walk out onto the field because that dude looks like he's built like a tank. Like he's going to yeah, just run friend. over people and just be like, hey, I'm here. What are you going to do? So the fact that he showed up and he looks like he's ready to play day one, like he is in shape, he's built, he looks like the part of a great linebacker. But the thing that really made me impressed with Malcolm Rodriguez was what he said. Because obviously everybody is, okay, this is what I need to say. This is what I need to do. And they follow that kind of unofficial script. But what he said, Uh I never heard before from any player. They asked him what he felt about potentially getting a chance to start and all that. And he completely segued from that question by answering, listen, I understand that I have to earn my time. And he's, I expect to start off on special teams. And he said he was looking forward to playing on special teams. Wait a minute here. <laughs> what player says that they're looking forward to spending time on special teams? Apparently Malcolm Rodriguez does because that's where he expects to start. And justifiably so. He's a sixth round talent. He's got to earn his time. But the fact that he's not shrugging off and saying, yeah, I don't want to, but I know I have to. He is, no, I embrace this challenge. I'm going to prove to you that I am that kind of player that you guys need to actually consider being a starter because the first player I think of that got their career started and was winding up later being a Hall of Famer, Terrell Davis. Go back to that hit when he was a rookie on the playoff, on the special teams on kickoff, he laid a guy out as a running back. So it's like you can make your career as a special teamer. Who's the guy in New England? Is Steve Slater? Is that his name? Or Slayton? Something like that. You know who I'm talking about? Something like, like 18 that. for the yeah. Patriots. That guy's been with the Patriots mm-hmm. for 15 years. All he does is tackle guys on punts. It's insane. So, yes, there's always places for people on special teams. But I didn't know he said that. It's a great attitude. And you ju- you talked about earlier being a Dan Campbell guy. Dan Campbell oh, yeah. is falling asleep reading that sound, reading that quote. Oh, for sure. He's just having a nice little, I love guys that just want to yes. work. I don't have to worry about all these prima yes. donna attitudes. I, Probably I why to they took the one. Oh, for sure. If I'm one coach in the NFL that stays awake most nights, it's got to be Mike McCarthy for the Dallas Cowboys because all he deals with is prima donnas. That's literally all he ever does. So if I'm Dan yeah. Campbell, I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't have to worry about all that nonsense. So I feel good about that. So let's wrap up our show here really quickly with this last question here. So we've obviously talked about Jamison Williams a little bit in retrospect, but a lot of analysts and commentators have speculated that Jamison Williams won't officially be ready to play until later in the season. I've heard most people say somewhere in November is when they're expecting him to potentially be ready to play. 
What do you think that Williams will, when do you think he'll actually be ready to play? And if he does play sooner or later, what do you think his stats will be for the season? So I don't know what, I can't even remember when he tore his ACL and I don't really know what is it like a year timeline usually to get back to being fully healthy. I don't really know, to be honest. Do you know? Well, to be, I have a little bit of insight into this. So he tore his ACL in the championship game against Georgia I believe it was Georgia. Yeah. And tip. And that was in January. That was in January. Now here's the thing you're saying a year, if we're about maybe 10 years earlier, maybe that might've held true medical science and rehab has come a long way in how fast these players can come back. Just for example, here, Cam Akers from the Rams last year, he freaking tore his Achilles and he was back in six months. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, Jamison Williams surgeon who performed the surgery said that he's already well ahead of schedule. Jamison Williams says that he's well ahead of schedule. We've seen videos of him already doing some movement drills. I personally think that at best, I think he could be ready week one of the season. I don't think they're going to play him in the preseason. I think they're going to be a little bit more cautious and let him continue to learn from the sidelines. But I think that if everything clears out and checks out, he could be ready to go week one. I don't think they're going to wait until November before they say, okay, yeah, now we're going to put him in. Because if they're truly trying to win, Jamison Williams is a very key element in that offense. They want him out there as soon as he's healthy and able. That's fair. I would. My one thing with that, though, is don't rush him, please, because I don't want to see him get hurt again. We, did, we shouldn't. True. Like, say Jamison Williams doesn't even exist. If you look at the offense as it is already – they should be able to score points without Jamison Williams. I don't want it to be week oh, yeah. three, let's say, and it. Oh, if only Jamison Williams was in there, we'd be we'd be winning these games. I don't want that to ever become a narrative because that should never be a narrative. That should not be an excuse this year. If he doesn't play till November, that's how it ends up going. Score points. You have plenty of other weapons. You have an offensive line that should be able to force the ball down anybody's throat. Don't rush <laughs> the guy back. You just traded up for him. He's a first-round pick. He's one of the most explosive athletes in the draft. Don't rush him back and don't succumb to fans because if the Lions do struggle offensively and Jamison's not playing, you already know people are going to be like, oh, we need Jamison Williams. If only we had Jamison Williams, which I just don't think is the case. Obviously, he'll help, but I don't think that could possibly be a reason alone. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that you make a valid point. It's just, for me, I think the Lions and Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, they realize that this is a really great opportunity for them. They made a lot of strides in the offseason. They made Mm -hmm. a lot of pickups on talent in the draft. They've got a weak schedule by comparison to the rest of the NFL. If the Lions truly want to make strides and actually win several games, the best thing, like we said last week, is that they need to start early. They need to start winning games early. Yeah. Jamison Williams helps in that. Do I think he is the ultimate reason that they win games early? No, but he definitely helps. So here's my prediction. If Jamison Williams starts week one and he's fully healthy, doctors have cleared him, the coaches, GM, they're all comfortable and singing kumbaya and saying, okay, go out there and play, I think that Jamison Williams has a 1,000-yard rookie season receiving. He might have five, maybe six touchdowns because, again, learning everything in the end zone is a little bit more complicated than just going out and running routes and getting yards. But I think if he starts week one, 1,000-yard-plus season, five to six receiving touchdowns. If he doesn't show up until, say, November, I think you have to cut that in half to maybe more like six to 700 yards and maybe more two to three receiving touchdowns. That's my assessment. What do you think? Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I, that's fair. I, if he is ready to go and he's saying, yeah, let me play, let's let the kid go. 1,000 yards, that seems fair. He is a freak of nature when it comes to running, <laughs> like a freak of nature. So I don't, as if Jared Goff can put the ball there, let's do it. Let's I, see what happens. I'll just say this right now. When you got DJ Chark, who's got 4-3 speed, you've got Jamison Williams, who's got 4-2 speed, I think Jared Goff is going to be finding his guys just wide open all over the damn field. He's just going to be like, okay, you're open, you're open. Who's the better option? Because behind that line, he could literally make himself a turkey sandwich, watch the news, and then still complete the pass before anybody get even close to him if it's fully healthy. It's full circle. That's how good I think this Lions offense can be. We're going to end the show the way we started it, Jared Goff. This Absolutely. is it, buddy. I think this is it, 16. Let's see it. Let's see it, young man. <laughs> Come on, Jared. I, I, I agree with you. This whole season, even though it's about the Lions having a chance to succeed, it starts and finishes. It lives and dies by Jared Goff. So this is the perfect chance for Jared Goff to come back to, I would say, relevance in the NFL world rather than just being, oh, a serviceable quarterback. He can return back into that top 10 conversation if he has a really great year. I truly believe that. But with that, we have come to the end of our show. It's been another great time being on Pride or Die with my friend and my co-host, Nick. We will be back next week on Sunday with another edition of Pride or Die. And with that, folks, we are out and saying have a happy Sunday and one pride, baby. Pride or Die, baby. Absolutely. I'ma get it, you know I be on the way